This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 256 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded Wednesday, January 27th, 2016, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 1st at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah, and it seems that illness has stricken the Priority One Podcast crew this week, so Cookie and I will be in command. Hi. As always, in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hi, folks. So, Cookie, tell us what we've got coming up this week. This week, we start by checking out the recent announcement of a huge Star Trek event coming to New York in September. We'll also review a few other events taking place elsewhere. In Star Trek Online News, Kenna and guest host James Calvin, one of our audio editors, recap the latest announcements surrounding the game's sixth year anniversary. Later, on screen, Elijah and I review the TNG episode, Justice. Then, Jace brings us the latest from the comic book scene with his review of Volumes 4 and 5 of Star Trek Ongoing. And of course, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We want your voices heard too, Captains. Join in on the discussion by leaving us comments on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or follow us on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail using SpeakPipe. Just click the widget on our homepage. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters, old and new, who make this show possible from week to week. With your help, we can keep improving the quality and content of this show. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Now let's check out how Star Trek is making a splash in the Big Apple. I don't know. Then let's break it out. O. M. G. I can't tell you how excited I am about this most recent announcement. So excited! 44 years after the very first Star Trek convention took place at the Statler Hotel in New York City in January of 1972, Star Trek is returning to New York City and in a big way. CBS Consumer Products has teamed up with Read Pop, a pop culture event production company responsible for events like New York City Comic Con, to bring us Star Trek Mission New York, a three-day convention over Labor Day weekend, September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at the Javits Center in New York City. According to the press release on ReadPop.com, this event will be, quote, filled with interactive exhibits, exclusive merchandise, celebrity guests, panels, screenings, and much more, end quote. Fun fact! The original fan-organized Star Trek convention that took place in New York back in 1972 was planned to accommodate 500 guests. 3,000 showed up. That's insane. I remember, I forget which documentary it was. That I was watching where, you know, they were interviewing Leonard Nimoy and Shatner and they were talking about how they were expecting to show up and, you know, a few people were going to be at the at the hotel. But instead, the line was around the corner like it was it was insane. They were they were rock stars. It's just crazy. That's just crazy. You plan for 500 people and, and 3000 show up. Yeah, I don't know how they did it. Now, although specifics like what guests, panels, exhibitors or special events have not yet been announced, in an interview with Forbes magazine, Lance Festerman, global senior VP of Read Pop, said, quote, Our aim is to build an experience that generation of Star Trek fans will relate to and revel in. It's safe for fans to assume that interactive experiences, props, 
screenings, exclusive merchandise, meet and greets with cast and crew, panels, and more will be a part of the cornucopia of fun we create. At Read Pop, our motto is fans first. So the best part of everything we do around the world is wowing the fans, end quote. Seriously, I can't, I, I can't adequately, I can't even speak. That's how excited I am I about tell. this announcement. You don't seem excited even, at all. I can't get it. I just can't. <laughs> Not only because it's in my backyard. That's just like, that's really just an added bonus. But because I've been to New York City Comic Con twice and both times have been jaw dropping experiences. Look, if this was being produced somewhere else outside of New York City, I still think I would have gone. But it really is an added bonus that it's in my backyard. So what about Creation's 50th celebration event in Vegas, you might ask? Look, the Creation 5-Day Vegas event is going to be amazing, I'm sure, all in its own way. But the Javits Center is huge. I mean sports arena huge. That means that there's a lot of space to fill with all dedicated to Star Trek stuff. That's no small party. Also, I don't think I've ever seen official statements from senior VPs at CBS about a convention. Not even for Creation's 50th. So this sounds to me like an active partnership. Not just CBS selling off the license for someone to throw a convention. This sounds almost as if CBS actively pursued ReadPop to organize this event, which is just it's great. You know what I foresee, really? I foresee, I foresee an exclusive screening of the new series that you probably won't get to see at Creations event. Oh, my God. I, that would be awesome. I foresee at least two bridge recreations, the original series and the next generation. I foresee a full panel from a good chunk of the actual film stars, the new JJ film stars. I foresee two sleepless nights of after parties and events all throughout New York City. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Priority One is going to be there to bring you on-site coverage. So you've been to the New York Comic Con, you've been to the Vegas. You personally, how, how are they different? Like, which one do you like better? So New York Comic Con is really an animal in and of itself, right? It's huge because we're talking about a combination of various geek culture, pop culture icons and franchises and whatnot. New York Comic Con is overwhelming. It really is. I can't imagine what San Diego Comic-Con is like because if New York Comic-Con is any indication of what San Diego is like, then San Diego must be nuts because, like I said, New York Comic-Con is really overwhelming. The Javits Center is, like I said, it's massive. This is not – I want to say it's three times the size of the area that the Rio is used for for the convention of the Rio. Now, the only thing I like that I would think that I would like more about Vegas is you're, it's all there. You don't even have to leave the building. No, you don't have to leave the building at Javits Center. You're not going to have to you're, leave the, the building. The hotel's the right there? Uh, oh, the ho- no, the hotel, like, you'd as have far to like, as walk a block or something. After parties and stuff, they're all just right there. Like You walk by an after party on your way to another after party. So that's the only thing that um, I might like better about Vegas, but I haven't tried the New York, so I don't know. The, the nice thing about New York Comic Con is, first of all, transportation is super easy, right? It's, it's, there, there are hotels in the immediate area. There's a hotel right across the river that you take a, a five-minute ferry to get across to. And from where the Javits Center is, you're close to Penn Station. You're close to 42nd Street uh, Port Authority. It's easy to get into the village. It's easy to go downtown. There's just the convenience of being in a hotel is okay. But honestly, though... The distance between the two towers at the Rio from the convention hall is a, almost a city block, if not longer. It take it does take a while. So that amount of time that it takes you to get from your hotel room to the convention center at the Rio is just about the time it, it can take you to get from the Javits Center to whatever hotel you're staying at uh, in the vicinity of the Javits Center. Not only that, but let's say you do want to go out right at the Rio, which a lot of parties will do. They'll go to off-site locations for one thing or another. Getting around Vegas isn't easy. You have to take a cab or you have to have your car. In New York, at New York City, it's mass transit all over the place. It's super easy to get around. And there's so much more to do and so much geek culture available just a few blocks away. Again, I can't even express how excited I am because I think this is – I'm going to go to this and I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to go to a creation convention ever again. This is going to be your con. It's going to be huge. And I mean screenings? 
That's insane. But we have other events coming up. Cookie, why don't you talk to us about it? USA Today published an article adding a few events to plan for in 2016. For starters, 50 Artists, 50 Years is an artist exhibit coming to San Diego Comic-Con in July featuring Trek-inspired illustrations, photography, and other art forms by 50 artists. Also on the horizon is Trek Talks, kind of like TED Talks, but inspired by Star Trek. Here's how the article describes it, quote, Starting in July, schools, science museums, and entertainment venues around the world will feature experts leading discussions on the topics examined in Star Trek, including space exploration, medical technology, and cultural diversity, end quote. And finally, the Starfleet Academy experience will allow us to enroll at Starfleet Academy and participate in interactive environments, learn about engineering, medical diagnostics, communication and navigation, all from the perspective of a Starfleet cadet. The first academy will be the Canada Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa in May. Then in June, it comes to the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum in New York. Another thing in New York. You get, you get so everything. Excited. Seriously, my head is about to explode with so much awesomeness heading to New York City. I just, I mean, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't even right now. I can't. I just, I want to cry. So here's this week's first community question. Have you begun making plans for all the Star Trek celebrations happening around the world? If so, we want to know where you're going and what you hope to experience. Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO256 or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. You kind of want to come to the East Coast, don't you? I mean... Don't you? You do. You do. I'm come really on. You want to be a cadet? You want to be it's a Because all, it's always, always been about Vegas, but... You want to be a Starfleet cadet? I do want to be a Starfleet cadet. That's for sure I do. Yeah, 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 I do. That is super cool. Now, but you're in an area that it could, you could probably expect to see it come to your areas because they can I guess it depends on the venue you book this and they come to you so my guess is that other museums around the United States will will start booking it especially especially places like you know Houston Mission Control over at Houston probably shipyards on the west coast uh, you know we're seeing it now at the Intrepid being the first place in, in the United States which is really exciting man if I don't because I'm sure they're going to have like many classes right like many graduating classes it's not going to be like oh a one God. thing if wouldn't that I am, be so cool to be a graduate i listen to me if i don't get to be part of the first graduating class of starfleet academy on the east coast i'm going to cry i don't want to be second i don't want to be the third graduating class i want to be the first group of people to go through starfleet academy that would be so awesome if i go i'm going to dress up in my little uniform i'm going to take stuff to make notes and everything my tablet you know put some decals star trek decals on it and just be like totally i'm totally gonna do the best i can at that and hopefully i'll i'll be first in my class right so so star trek las vegas the argument is that oh you know it's five days though but it's gonna be five days of things that we've seen already from from star trek las vegas right which is why this new york city experience is going to be so awesome even though it's only three days it's going to be a jam-packed three days the relationship between cbs and read pop seems just so great that i i really hope that this is going to be an ongoing thing like i hope that even if it's just one convention a year that we see this level of commitment from cbs with the star trek franchise and their conventions now let's find out what happened this week in star trek online Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we bring you up to speed on all the latest news from Star Trek Online. Mark is off this week, so I've roped in James, one of our audio engineers, to help me host the show. Say hi. Hi, all. Well, there's a lot going on this week, so let's just get right into it, shall we? So as we suspected, with the launch of the anniversary event comes the launch of a new lockbox. The Mirror Incursion lockbox is packed full of goodies, so if you're a fan of the lockboxes, then you'll probably like this one. If you're not, well, you might just want to plug your ears for a minute because you might get jealous. So I'm going to run through a few of the notable prizes. 
So as always, there are a variety of low-level prizes, including mark bonuses, dilithium claims, DOF assignments, and some traits, but those are really the consolation prizes, let's be honest. We've also got a weapons pack containing a choice of a Terran Empire Agony Phaser weapons, where you can choose between beams, cannons, or ground weapons. Now, all of these phaser weapons have an additional chance to temporarily disable your enemy and cause a small amount of damage over time. And of course, there's also a Terran Empire kit pack featuring a kit frame which enhances the duration of control type powers. But enough of the fluff and onto the good stuff. There are two ships available in this lockbox, both of which are pretty exciting, and frankly, I can't believe we didn't guess them because they're Tholians. First up is the Tier 5 Tholian Meshweaver Escort, which does exactly what it says in the tin, as it were. Now, these are freely available on the exchange at the moment for about 5.5 million EC, so actually, I wouldn't bother spending money on lockbox keys if you're after one. But the big prize is the Tier 6 Tholian Tarantula Dreadnought Cruiser. Now, it's a fairly standard Dreadnought Cruiser type, but with seating for both a Command Bridge Officer and an Intel Bridge Officer. And it's interesting to note that the Starship trait Energy Web is activated with Beam Overload, Surgical Strikes, or Cannon Rapid Fire, which may be helpful particularly for captains who don't use Beam Fire at will. It's kind of an odd choice for this ship, however, since this ability is forward firing, which isn't a great fit for a Dreadnought Cruiser, but it might be something interesting to try out on another ship, perhaps an escort, provided that you can keep your auxiliary power up and have points in particle generators since that's what the damage scales by. So that's it for the lockbox, but I should also note that there are a few new items in the low buy store as well, including the Tier 6 Paradox Temporal Dreadnought Starship, which is a mouthful, the Temporal Rift Stabilizer Console, and for Space Barbie fans, you can buy yourself a Tholian Toy Vanity Pet, which are so cute, by the way, or even Admiral Lita's uniform. So we'll put a link to the full blog in our show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO256. Are you guys taking a look at this lockbox? I have, and this lockbox is probably one of the best ones I've seen in a long time. There are a lot of things in it that I think are really, really good. Uh, like what? Uh, well, the ship for one. The, that uh, tarantula, uh, it's something that the community has been asking for. For years, they've been looking for that ship. Well, I'll be honest with you, I, it didn't excite me that much, this lockbox, because most of this stuff is a little bit throwaway. I think the key really is the fact that this sort of, the whole theme of the sort of Terran reputations and lockbox and stuff is all centered around control effects. So like all the um, traits and things are really about control buffs or protecting against debuffs, which might be useful for like some PvP stuff, but you're not probably going to use them in everyday just, you know, normal endgame stuff. There were some DOF assignments in there that I looked at, which looked kind of cool because you could, like, earn a title, you could get a big box of dilithium, but actually, for the amount of effort that you'd have to take, the number of lockboxes you'd have to open to get all the assignments and then complete them, and then if you wanted the big box of 50k dilithium, you have to crit on all 10, and it was like, you know, that seems like an awful lot of effort for 50k dilithium. The traits that come with the ships are really good. That one that comes with the tarantula would be interesting to see, but I don't think it's going to do that well on the actual tarantula. If you go into a Tholian red alert, that that is the thing that they do, you know, that is that ability. So it kind of, it works. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be, but it's it's a pretty slow turning ship for, I mean, it's not the slowest, but it's pretty slow turning ship to for something that's exclusively forward facing. So I don't know. If I remember correctly, the Paradox Temple... Dreadnought, uh, that comes with a really good starship trait as well that are good for science builds, if I remember right. It's either that one or else it's the event ship. I can't remember quite which one it was. What about you, James? Have you seen this lockbox? Is there anything in there that, that will tempt you? You know, I don't play the lockbox lottery too much. I did and got myself the T6 bug ship, so it's just not my cup of tea to go out and get a bunch of keys and throw it out on those. So for me, the only thing with all this that really I really am looking forward to, and I'll be honest with you, is Admiral Lita's uniform out of the uh, Lobby store, because <laughs> uh, I have a couple female tunes that I think will they will look quite quite sexy in those. Uh, Sally Struthers yeah. being one of them, so um, I'll probably go for that one. <laughs> well, I know that the community has been very vocal about that uniform since we very first saw it on some of the promotional stuff when when they were talking about 
what, what season are we in? Season 11? Season 11. Yep. Season, yeah. And so, yay, it's finally here. So go and get it, which is great. With the new anniversary event also comes a brand new featured episode. This one, Time and Tide, is the third in the Future Proof story arc. If you haven't played it yet, you can expect a lot more development of the main plotline for this season, plus at least one big twist that, well, let's just say we all saw it coming. We just don't know when. But expect more questions and answers in this one. Don't forget, we've got the better part of a year before the storyline will be concluded. And working on the timelines that executive producer Steve Ricosa hinted at last week, it could be another six episodes to go. One aspect of Time and Tide that we can talk about is the signing of the Temporal Accords. Regardless of how you feel about the outcome of the episode, the fact that we're able to go and witness it is pretty cool, and it makes it worth playing. We'll bring you more in-depth analysis of the episode next week once everyone's had a chance to play it. But for now, Kenna, Winters, have you played it, and what do you think? I've played it. I've played it. I haven't played it. James, you have. I was going to play it before <laughs> we recorded. Uh, I really, really liked it. I'd give it nine temporal starships out of nine, I think <laughs> is my rating that I would give it. Yeah, I just really liked it. I thought it was really, really good and thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was solid. Maybe I need to play it again, but uh, it seemed pretty... It, it seemed a little too straightforward. I knew it was coming, so I, I thought it, it was a bit obvious that what was going to happen. I thought the gameplay was fairly predictable. It was sort of do some stuff and then do some more stuff and there you go, hey. And of course there wasn't really a conclusion to this particular episode because it was sort of a, it's 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 this we're setting things up for things that will happen later in the series. So I thought it was solid. I wouldn't say it was amazing. The thing that I did like about it was that since I've replayed it once already on another tune, you can actually F through it really fast. <laughs> it takes about 10 minutes. Oh, so, I'm sure you can, yeah. Two, two thumbs up for that. I'm going to give it, yeah, hard to say. As a standalone, I would say probably 6 or 7 out of 10. What did you say? Temporal something? Temporal time chips. Temporal time chips. That's it. Um, Do they come equipped with their own Captain Braxton's? No, it's not Captain Braxton in this one. Okay. Yeah, I think it was solid. I think it will sit well in the story arc, but as a as a standalone episode, it was a little disappointing. But oh, except for the whole temporal accords thing, which was kind of awesome. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I thought that was really good. But I liked the way that it was linking back to previous episodes that we done, and we're like, uh, like I was playing it going, I know where this is going because I remember at the time for was it Butterfly or whatever, we were all thinking, okay, something's going to happen here with this guy. And, you know, it was nice to see that our predictions were correct. Yeah, I think maybe that's why it felt a little anticlimactic for me because uh, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. I thought about this a lot for all my predictions of what we were going to see coming up. And it's basically what I thought it was going to be. So when it all happened, I was a bit like, oh, yeah, okay. So maybe for me, it was particularly less sort of revelationary than it might have been for somebody else who hadn't sat through and combed through all the previous story arcs and stuff. But but yeah, it was solid. So that brings us to this week's community question. What are your first takes on the anniversary event and the new featured episode? Okay, and moving on, we've already talked about the lockboxes and we've talked about the mission. Now we're going to talk about the ship. And we really can't get away without talking about the free ship, and it's the Tier 6 Krenum Science Vessel. Now we're finally privy to the stats, so here's what you need to know if you're debating whether to grind out the thousand anniversary prize vouchers you'll need in order to claim it. So this is some more love for science captains, or actually captains of any class who like flying science ships, really. So first off, it's got de- decent hull strength at a max of 42,000, but it's got nearly 1.5 shield modifier, which is one of the highest in the game, so it'll be fairly resilient straight out of dry dock. Now, it's light on weapons, but great on bridge officer seating, including space for a lieutenant commander intel boff, which makes sense, uh, that boff seating, because you'll really be focusing on your boff abilities in this ship. Now. It's been confirmed it's got a secondary deflector, so you'll really be able to play around with your support powers, so your debuffs, controls, and your heals. And finally, you've got a universal console and a starship mastery trait. 
Now this console is a doozy and it reduces the cooldowns on all science bridge officer abilities by 15% and it puts on a broad kind of slow effect on any enemies within a 3 kilometer radius. Not sure how useful that bit of it is going to be but if you use the right tactics you might be able to get something out of it. Now the starship trait is an interesting one, well to me anyway. Improved Feedback Pulse increases the damage of Feedback Pulse by 50% and it can also give you a stacking crit chance and severity boost. Now Feedback Pulse is one of these abilities that I love in principle, it's kind of like a counterattack. But it's generally underpowered compared to some other things that you could be doing, so it'll be good to try this new sort of version out and see if we can get some better results out of it. Now, I have to say, this is probably the first science ship I've been really keen to try out, and it's one of the only ones that has been released that's cross-faction recently. So I know it will be of interest to a lot of people, especially uh, KDF and Romulan captains. Now, I've always been more tactical-oriented, but this ship has actually convinced me to finally get my Romulan science captain up to 10 so I can go and grab it and have some fun maybe later on down the line. So, James Winters, what do you guys think? I actually like this ship. Uh, the big one for me is going to be obviously the trait on the feedback pulse. I have a, uh, a, a Vesta with a science officer and I have that ability on there. So anything to buff that up a little bit more and uh, especially give uh, escorts a bad day, uh, something I definitely want to do. Yeah, I uh, really like the ship as well. Uh, not for just all the reasons that James just said, but also for the Admiralty system. Uh, because one thing I've noticed oh, yes. on uh, the f uh, KDF and Romulan factions is a severe lack of science points. And this ship, it's T6, it's got to help out because I, the Federation yeah, side for the Admiralty system feels very balanced. You know, it, it, I think they really hit it spot on. Yeah. But the KDF and Romulan, I think they went a little bit steep on the amount of science points needed. So this ship is really going to help that out a lot, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have been complaining for a while that there isn't, there haven't been enough science ships available for KDF and Romulan captains. And, uh, you know, strictly speaking, this isn't a Klingon ship and it's not a Romulan ship, but it's something that everyone will be able to use. Uh, so... It's it's almost it's nearly there. I mean, anytime they give out a ship uh, like this, you just you know get the thousand anniversary prize vouchers. You claim it, it's yours. I'm always happy about this. And any any additional love to the science side, I'm definitely for. I've uh, been wanting to actually play that more, so I think this will definitely give me a ship mm -hmm. to uh, jump into and see what I can do with it. Yeah, I'm with you on that because I've sort of been all the stuff that I've been learning about the game. I've really been focusing on the tactical side of it you know, learning all about how to up my DPS and generally speaking that's pretty this, the, the tactics that I've been using are fairly straightforward so, you know, debuff where you can and then just up your damage I've been really sort of waiting for something to come along that excites me and encourages me to you know, step away from that model and maybe move on to something that's more science based, that's m talking more about debuffs and special attacks. I don't even know what I'm talking about, you Control can tell. Effects. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, it's, it's made me excited to try that sort of thing out, and I hope that that's had that effect on a, a number of other players, and maybe we'll, we'll see a little bit of uh, change going on there, a little bit more variety to, to what's going on. So just before we move on, I just want to explain to everyone again how you get this ship if you're not aware, so just bear with me if this is really obvious, but basically you've got to save up 1,000 anniversary prize vouchers. Now you get 400 by doing the featured episode for the first time, and then another 40 each time you do the daily Omega Particle mission. So you'll need to do the daily 15 times between now and the 24th of February. Theoretically, you can earn the ship without doing the featured episode, but that's just crazy. Just do the mission. That's <laughs> pretty easy. It's a no-brainer, really. Again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. Morgan at Laughing Trendy tweeted, I just realized I've been working on STO for two years now, which is a little bit mind-blowing. It doesn't, doesn't feel like it's been yeah. that long, but that's pretty impressive. So congratulations, Trendy. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats, well LT. Maria Rosso, at Maria Rosso, writes, The boss is out today. I assume that means I'm in charge. 
I think I'll have the office painted fuchsia. Uh, my boss is out quite a bit. Um, fortunately, I'm not in charge. But if you are going to paint your office, I personally would go with a khaki and some plaid. And uh, Maria Zeronius, well, ex Zeronius, <laughs> if, if you did manage to pull that off, we'd love to see pictures. Yes, bring picture. And finally, Jeremy Randall at Bordica's Cryptic tweets, name that song based on these lyrics. Wee-oo, oo-oo, oo-oo. Something tells me I'm not quite doing that justice. I don't think but... so either. <laughs> In know, fact, do you I know am... what, Kenna? On behalf yeah. of everyone else, don't ever do that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I actually spent ages staring at that tweet going, what the hell could it possibly be? <laughs> Thinking, oh, I know, I'll be really clever and I'll sing it. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. So if anyone would like to, 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 write a, to write in and suggest what you think that might be, we'd love to hear from you. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some up-and-coming events to look forward to. Due to an ongoing issue, see the patch notes, with the in-game calendar, literally the only thing going on is the anniversary event, so that's easy. But I'm sure that we'll be hearing about a few more special events on the blogs in the next few days, and of course we'll keep you informed via Twitter and Facebook. Now let's check in with Cookie and Elijah and find out what's on screen. On screen. Hello, Captains. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And this week we're reviewing Justice, written by Ralph Willis and Worley Thorne, and directed by James L. Conway. This episode first aired November 9th, 1987. After having exhausted themselves establishing a colony, the Enterprise happens upon a M-class planet that is clearly even better than the pleasure planet Ryza. Mm-hmm. Desperate to grant shore leave, Dr. Crusher and most of the senior staff are eager to visit the planet. But you know something is going to go wrong when Captain Picard says... It's just hope. It's not too good to be true. Here are some fun facts. I guess this is more common than I thought, because this is the second time I've seen this with these Star Trek episodes, but one of the writers for this episode was actually John D.F. Black, who used the pseudonym Ralph Willis, because the episode was so different from his original script. Is that normal for writers to do that, or is this a Star Trek thing? I think it's when when the script is changed so badly, or changed in a direction that they don't agree, they don't want their real name on it, <laughs> so they use the pseudonym, and I think because of union laws, they have to put some name, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what I'm talking about. For all you California listeners, the outdoor scenes on the Edu planet was filmed at the Tillman Water Reclamation Plant in North Los Angeles. Which also happens to be Starfleet Academy. Nice. Which was right under the flight path of an airport. So airplanes were constantly flying overhead. So all the scenes filmed there had to be redubbed in post-production. And the scene where Wesley fell into the plants was filmed at the Huntington Library in Pasadena. Will Wheaton said in his podcast, Memories of the Future Cast, that this episode was, and I quote, the gold standard for so bad it's good. But it's fun to watch. It totally doesn't suck, and believe it or not, in 1987 we were really pushing the limits with all of the skin, all of the making out, the obvious sensuality, and those other things I find creepy and gross when I watch it today. It's never easy to tackle things like capital punishment and religion because you're bound to offend someone, and to make those arguments in the context of a television show where the entire thing has to be wrapped up in 42 minutes forces you to oversimplify things but I think we did it pretty fearlessly in this episode, end quote. Hmm. I don't know that fearlessly is the, I guess, I would say more carelessly. <laughs> well, back then, I mean, I guess there might have been a fear that they would have been, like, had a bunch of letters written in and the... Never seen so many sexual innuendos in one show and phallic symbolism. It's just crazy. <laughs> so what do you think of the episode overall? The Edu seemed pretty good at first. As Deanna put it, they had a healthy sensuality in that they're honest to a flaw. These people are honest, almost to a fault, and they have great pride in their ways. Yar was the one who said that she reviewed the laws of the planet and that they were fairly simple, common sense things. No indication of anything dangerous. Later, when asked about it, she said that the laws listed nothing about punishment. 
So, wouldn't it make sense for the leaders to make some kind of disclaimer warning as a courtesy to visitors, or at least include it in the laws? If they can kill you for walking in a certain area, and that area moves around randomly, wouldn't you think someone might mention that as a possibility before they let children visit the planet? Yeah, I mean, you know, because a white fence says it all. <laughs> Our rules are simple. No one does anything uncomfortable to them. Is the only thing that is mentioned when they arrive. When they finally tell them, in passing, Tasha asks, and just who tells visitors about these rules? And they look confused as if they hadn't thought of that before. The children that Wesley were playing with seemed to be the only ones on the planet who were looking at it reasonably. They pleaded that he was a visitor that he didn't know. Later, one of the mediators says, We cannot allow ignorance of the law to become a defense. But they pretty much hid it from them. How could visitors not be ignorant of the law? Aren't they the ones responsible for the ignorance? I think the Edu needed this to happen so they can learn how to properly deal with visitors. Another thing I noticed, Picard said that the Prime Directive is the reason they don't rescue Wesley from the planet at first, but then he tells them how much more advanced their system of justice is, how they evolved, that they no longer use capital punishment, and then he shows one of them the ship along with their god, so how is that also not violating the Prime Directive? Yeah, this episode made me uncomfortable, as it did Deanna. Speaking of the Prime Directive, first of all, why did they visit a planet that seemed pre-warp? There was no indication that this was a, a, a warp civilization. Or did I miss something? So, like you said, Prime Directive violation. Now, here's the thing. I suppose the episode's question was, what do you do when cultures clash? Then I would argue that the next questions the existence of God, which we'll see more of later in the series several times. But, honestly, this episode does less to debate cultural tolerance and really just imposes Starfleets. Earths. The first time Picard beams down, he's a terrible diplomat. And the Edo leader calls him out on it. Picard just about told them that... His laws were better than theirs. He could teach them, but he'd have to charge. Oh my God. So, what is the takeaway from this episode? When in Rome? Or only respect the culture as long as it doesn't make you uncomfortable? I'm not a fan of this episode because I think it violates Star Trek's own mission of tolerance and diplomacy. Picard didn't do much to rationalize with the Edo. He just beamed up Wesley. Or tried to, at least. An action that could inflame a culture wreak havoc and what happened to that mysterious ship are those aliens going to explain the new understanding of laws to the Edo or do they have to just figure it out it just does nothing to help collaborate it's just it's, Picard imposes himself over the law of the Edo sure you know it's it's one would argue that the Edo's law is a little extreme I'm not saying that it's not but there was Picard did very little to try to mediate the situation. He almost just inflamed it, really. I don't know. I don't I my issue with it is the Edu didn't they almost it, they hid it. They hid it from them. Whether they hid it on purpose, I don't know, but they did not tell the visitors that that was something that could happen. So But that was even said in passing. Like Picard didn't even use that as an argument. He was just like, well, your laws suck and ours don't, so I'm taking Wesley. Screw you guys, I'm going home. Like, it was very much that kind of an attitude. Not even justifying it with, well, you guys didn't inform us. I understand that we're visitors, but nobody told us about these white fences that you can easily trip over. Because they're below the knee. <laughs> they're shin level. Who's not going to trip over that? Yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, say this! No, say this! Like, there's so much that they could have said to argue their point better, but... I mean, it was okay, but there was a lot more that they could have done. I think Tasha yelled out some things that I agreed with. I know, for the first time, Tasha yells, and I am like, oh, alright, you got a point there, Tasha. Where you go? Yeah. So what are your favorite quotes? Um, when the mediators are arguing with Picard about how it's unjust that he doesn't let them kill Wesley, and he replies, Our laws have been violated. What of justice? What of justice to Wesley? Does he deserve to die? I'm truly sorry, Leator, but I must have justice for my people too. Transporter room. Energize. 
One of the only things I really like about this episode is Picard. And it's just generally Picard in the early phases of the next generation. Because he's such an ass. <sighs> the best example of this in this particular episode is just before the orb makes it to the bridge. No one knows what's happening and he's getting really frustrated. Intruder relays do show something. Why has everything become a something or a whatever? <laughs> so that brings us to our community question. What do you think about Picard's diplomacy in this episode? Did he even use diplomacy? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO256 or on Facebook and Twitter. Well, that wraps it up for this week's on-screen review of Star Trek The Next Generation's Justice. Now, Jace beams in with his review of the IDW comic series Star Trek Ongoing, Volumes 4 and 5. Hello, Captain, and welcome to the latest installment of Trek Lit 101. This month, we're going to pick up the pace and tackle Volumes 4 and 5 of IDW's ongoing Star Trek comic series, set in the JJ-verse. Both volumes mostly contain one-shot issues that delve into the backstory of many of the characters we've seen in the films. Volume 4 kicks off with Hendorf, framing a story that's technically a retelling of the original series The Apple, with a letter that the red shirt, also known as Cupcake, writes to his family. It's a solid story that has also been called The Red Shirt's Tale, and might be compared to The Next Generation's Lower Decks. I didn't realize that Hendorf was actually a character from the original series until I read this comic and revisited The Apple to see comparisons. Next up is a Keenzer story. That's right, Scotty's diminutive, rocky sidekick finally gets his moment in the sun. The flashbacks to his homeworld in this issue were my favorite part, although the wider framing conflict was weak. Really, the value of this issue is in learning more about the tiny engineer, rather than in the storyline itself. Volume 4 closes with a two-parter inspired by Mirror Mirror, which was simply titled Mirrored. Unlike the original episode, the two universes don't actually cross over in this case. Instead, we get a glimpse into a Terran empire where Nero's Narada came back and changed time, just like in Star Trek 2009. Seeing the evil version of J.J. vs. Kirk was a treat, and the resolution had a nice bit of snark directed towards certain of his well-known attitudes. Moving on to Volume 5, we get origin issues, if you will, about how and why Bones, Ahura, and Scotty came to join Starfleet, followed by Red Level Down, a tale of Chekhov and Sulu at the Academy. I'm especially fond of the McCoy issue, but I'm an old fan of our simple country doctor, so that's a very biased opinion. Fans of the Next Generation episode, The First Duty, may enjoy Red Level Down, as it explores some similar themes about choices and consequences in the Academy setting. At this point, I feel the series has hit its stride, and I'm confident recommending these volumes to anyone who at least found Star Trek 2009 entertaining. Volume 5 provided some much-needed fleshing out of the rest of the main bridge crew, as I don't feel the movies so far have even properly given us the classic triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. That wraps up this week's Treklet 101 reviews. Now let's open hailing frequencies with Ken and Elijah. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. David S. answered our community question on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Do you or your fleet have anything special planned to mark this year's anniversary event in Star Trek Online? And he's answered, For myself, nothing too special planned at the moment. A few friends will likely join me in Iowa to see Star Trek Beyond, and then we'll take a drive down to see Kirk's future birthplace. The rest of the time will probably be spent playing Star Trek Catan and other Trek-themed games. As for the fleet, you tell me, is Priority One planning anything special? Well, uh, we're not planning anything special at the moment, but I think that's a really fantastic idea, David. So I think we're going to take that away and have a think about that and uh, let you guys know, because I do think it would be a great thing to get everyone involved and really pulled together. And we probably will do something with the fleet on the fleet live stream. So stay tuned to Priority One Podcast and we'll come up with something for you. Small Yoda posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
The anniversary event is usually one of those times when people who have taken a break from the game will come back and see what's new. My fleet and I will be taking advantage of the event by doing recruiting as well as general gaming together in order to get our numbers up and get ourselves back to where we once were. As for Lonely Among Us, I think that while the entity did seem to have control of Picard's actions, there must have been some part of him that was somewhat aware of what was going on and was interested in what the entity could offer since Picard is an explorer after all. But the entity did seem to have most of the control since Picard would never have consciously made the decision to just abandon his ship and crew. Bergens replied on PriorityOnePodcast.com to answer Elijah's question of IPA or lager with Sile probably tastes like chicken, so definitely the IPA. Man, I'm so over the whole IPA thing. It's no joke. Man. But you don't know what that tastes like, so you can't really say. Well, I get, you know, I would bet that Sile tastes a lot like snake, which I have had. Does it taste like chicken? No. Ken from Chicago tweeted us, no, at Cookie Cupcakes, no. Goldacott is a bad, bad man. Hashtag just say no. <laughs> Thanks for looking out for me there, Ken from Chicago. But I'm a big girl, I can handle myself. Yeah. Well, Captains, we love hearing from you, so leave us a voicemail by clicking on the SpeakPipe widget on our homepage. And that's in addition to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast our Twitter page, at PriorityOnePod. And, of course, you can always leave us a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 256 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community questions. Our first one from Trek It Out. Have you begun making plans for all of the Star Trek celebrations happening around the world? If so, we want to know where you're going and what you hope to experience. Our second question comes from Star Trek Online News. What are your first takes on the anniversary event and the new featured episode? Finally, and on screen, what do you think about Picard's diplomacy in the episode Justice? Did he even use diplomacy? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our website. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash priority one podcast or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Be sure not to miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Now that we're covering all things Star Trek, be sure to retweet and share our posts. Invite your fellow Trekkies to listen to the show. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our skits, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting the show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria Depost, and James Kelvin. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
Transfer complete. Later on on screen. No, later, later on, on screen. <laughs> later on screen. Elijah and I. Later on screen. That's, 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 does that sound right? Later on screen. Oh, it's on, so it is know, on. Like... Yeah, the segment is called screen. on screen. It'd be like later. But, you don't, but it sounds weird to say later on 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 screen. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> I'll just trust you on this. And of course, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Ooh, you didn't mess up wrap up. <laughs> before we wrap the show, I only did that like twice. No, that was like all last year. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week in Priority One After Hour on Priority One, not in. It's not, a, it's not a little compartment. Who wrote this horse manure? Again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the bugs. Here's the latest. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that was in there. And I read Bugs. that completely you through. Did. <laughs> you got trolled by like somebody went back in time to like four weeks ago. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Revenge is a dish best served cold. <laughs> I, I caught the first one. You had yeah. my name a little while ago, and I, you know, went, you know, you and Kenna. This one, I just went right through it. Okay. Well, that wraps up episode two hundred and fifty-six of. No, you got to read it like Kenna, because it says Kenna. Well, that wraps up episode two hundred and fifty-six <laughs> of Priority One Podcast. <laughs> I don't know how to do her accent because it's a, it's a fusion accent. It's too hard. <laughs> she's she's had a very light light accent. So sorry. That was epic. Oh man. <laughs> I can't even. I'm not even going to try to do a Scottish accent. But before we go, well, wait, she has to redo that again. Oh, you do have to say, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, that wraps up episode 256 of Priority One Podcast. That was a very good impersonation of Kenna. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at Guard Frequency. Guard Frequency. Wrap up the show, Mr. Che. The fluffy show. Okay. Oh, was that uh, Harley Quinn? I mean, it started turning into that. Okay. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com covering the. What? Covering the sword of the Space Sims? <gasps> you guys are what just the- a bunch of world. all the time, aren't you? Covering the world. world of. <laughs> I fixed something else in this. It said. <laughs> Stir. It said, "What was it? It was stir track instead of Star Trek." Happy Lennon. So many typos. I was like, "Why is there so many typos?" Uh, They're not typos. It was messing with the script. (laughs) Okay, let's try it again. Skiffy's like FOMO. (laughs) F what? (laughs) F who? Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan. As Maria de Post. As Maria. As Maria de Post. Okay, James Kelly. As Maria. As Maria.